Hello, friends. Craig Ballard, Locked On Blue Jays. Locked On Blue Jays, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In today's episode, going to deep dive, get you set for Tuesday night's tilt at the Rogers Center. Mike Clevenger versus Jose Barrios. Going to be joined later on in the episode by Locked On White Sox as we continue that crossover conversation as well to really get you set for what sort of things to expect from the White Sox in this series. You are Locked On Blue Jays, your daily Toronto Blue Jays podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am Craig Ballard. I am Locked On Blue Jays. I am thankful that you're choosing to spend part of your day talking Toronto Blue Jay baseball with me. For the increased subscribers that we're seeing on our YouTube channel, I want to thank you for that. For those of you becoming everydayers and are making Locked On Blue Jays your first podcast listen each day, certainly want to shout you out and thank you as well. Reminder, you can always check the Blue Jay games on Sirius XM. And tonight's Blue Jay game is a pair of righties. It's Mike Clevenger for the White Sox, Jose Barrios for the Toronto Blue Jays. Now, overall, Clevenger been pretty good. 2-1 and one record, 3.26 ERA. Now, his worst start by far was the last time out. So hopefully he's uh, hitting a bit of a skid, a bit of a, a stumble, a bit of a, a bit of a scuffle right now. That'd be nice. Now, who is a Toronto Blue Jay that really needs th- – th- there's a few, right, if we're, if we're being honest, that, but that, that needs to, really needs to get the bat going. He's at the top of this lineup. It's George Springer. Now, George Springer has hit well against Mike Clevenger in the past, so I'm really hoping that Clevenger provides some of the cure for what ails Springer. George Springer, 4 for 10 in his career against Clevenger, and two of those four hits left the ballpark. Clevenger's four-seamer has been good this season. His slider has been hit at times, in particular his last time out, so I really think that's the pitch the Blue Jays need to key in on, especially the righties. For the lefties, Clevenger's been mixing in a curveball this season. Now, only Kevin Kiermeyer is the only lefty that that has never faced Clevenger, and, and it used to be, I mean, who cares what the pitcher throws to lefties, right? Blue Jays didn't have any lefties. Now, now there's a lot of flexibility and depth and lefties, right? A lot of balance in this lineup. So as I say, Kiermaier's a lefty that's never faced Clevenger, but the other Blue Jay lefties, Kevin Biggio, Brandon Bell, Dalton Varshow, they face Clevenger. They're a combined 0 for 17 with six strikeouts. Holy moly. So if you're a lefty tonight going up there against Clevenger, got to be looking for him to make a mistake, hang that curve like he has been, and do damage to that. The last time we saw Clevenger on this mound was back in 2019. Justin Smoke and Billy McKinney homered as as, as uh, Clevenger beat Ryan Barucki that game. So so a lot has changed, not just dimensions, right, but the, the roster, the team, the expectations, a lot has changed. Mike Clevenger is seeing a significantly different animal in Toronto this time around. Mike Clevenger, of course, will be the second of three straight righties that the White Sox throw at the Blue Jays in this series. Speaking of righties, how about the other side of the coin? How about for your... Toronto Blue Jays, Jose Barrios. Last two starts for Jose Barrios have been very good. Now, last season, be 23 and 9. Last season, we, we know Jose Barrios struggled, but the Blue Jays were 23 and 9 when he started. I mean, winning is the name of the game, right? Ultimately. So had to like that aspect of a 23 and 9. I mean, yes, please. To put that in context, when when the when Robbie Ray won his Cy Young with the Blue Jays, the Jays were just 17 and 17. And Robbie Ray starts. And remember, that was the season the Blue Jays missed the play-in game by one game, missed the playoffs by two games. So wouldn't we as Blue Jay fans have traded Robbie Ray's Cy Young to, to get you know one or two more wins during Robbie Ray's start? 17 and 17, you're 500 with, with the Cy Young winner on the mound. I, I'm underwhelmed with that. But but Jose Barrios, 23 and 9 last season. So and I don't have an explanation, right? But for whatever reason, his his teammates rallied around him. They won games. 
but the Blue Jays just won in three and Jose Barrio starts this season. Now the one win was his lone home game, that that gem he pitched the last week against Tampa Bay. That's the only time he's pitched that Rogers Center this season. Now, Jose Barrios last season gave up 29 home runs. And what do we know about those 29 home runs? Not a lot of solo, right? There were there were two and three run home runs. They were instantly putting you know crooked numbers up on the board. Barrios got himself in trouble with that constantly last season. In 2023 so far, just one home run allowed, and a really odd one too. It was a, a leadoff solo home run in the uh, was a fifth inning of that uh, game he pitched at Anaheim to Luis Rangifo. It's it's Rangifo's only home run of the year. So solo, which which is not like Barrios, and a guy who's only hit one home run all season. So like, almost like, like like a fluke home run. So as far as keeping the ball in the ballpark, 2023 Jose Barrios has been very good at that. Last season, we saw Barrios' strikeouts decrease. We saw his walks increase. Well, this season, Barrios back to being a strikeout per innings pitched pitcher and just four walks on the season. It's early, I get it, but I always say we can only go on what we have to go on. And right here, right now, Jose Barrios' strikeout to walk ratio, it's the second best of his entire career. So if you're looking at these numbers, you know, just, just on the surface, because he's had a few stinkers in there, right? So you're not going to be impressed. But when you really look at Jose Barrios' season as a whole, there's some glass half full things. There, there, there's some arrows pointed upwards. There's some things to like. How about how wild he was last season, even hitting batters? He hit 11 batters last season, just one so far in 2023. The, the key for Jose Barrios, we know it's always going to be, can he hit his spots with the fastball? Runs that fastball up there in the mid-90s, so you would think that even when he does miss, it's still in the mid-90s, it's still hard to hit, but when he's missing with his fastball location, it's migrating to the middle of the plate. I don't care if it's 96 miles per hour. Right down the middle, major league hitters are on the major league level because they can deal with, even if it's 96, they can deal with pitches right down the middle. So Barrios, that's always going to be the key for him, right? That fastball location. I feel like Jose Barrios' sinker has been better this season. The slurve has been really good and effective for Barrios. And that's that's just it, right? That's when we see Jose Barrios at his best. That's the consistent Jose Barrios we saw in Minnesota when the fastball was much better with the location. Now he can play the fastball off the slurve. He can play the slurve off of the fastball. Saw that for years. We saw that level of consistency for years in Minnesota. Literally what the Blue Jays thought they were getting with him when they re-upped with him on that seven-year contract. Hopefully that's what's going to be on display the rest of this season. Several White Sox, Andrew Benintendi, Eloy Jimenez, uh, Luis Robert Jr., Gavin Sheets, Andrew Vaughn have all homered in their career against Barrios, so I have to watch that. Now, glass half full here for the Blue Jays. Andrew Benintendi has 140 plate appearance at Rogers Center, has never hit a home run at Rogers Center coming into this, this series anyway, so hopefully we won't see him go deep on Barrios. Hopefully that's not a threat. Uh, Eloy Jimenez is always a threat to go deep, but coming into this series, he's not hit well at Rogers Center. Gavin Sheets coming into the series, just one for nine at Rogers Center. Andrew Vaughn coming into the series has not hit well at Rogers Center. So hopefully these batters that have hit a home run off Bruce in the past, it's not a threat on Tuesday night. The one from that list that we haven't mentioned, you might have noticed, was Luis Robert Jr. He is one to keep an eye on in this ballpark against Burrios. He's hit well at Rogers Center, and he's hit well against Burrios. Now, coming right up on Locked On Blue Jays, more from our crossover conversation with Locked On White Sox as we further deep dive Tuesday night's game. And yes, Locked On White Sox is in the house tomorrow too to deep dive that series finale, Michael Kolbeck versus Yusei Kikuchi. That's a that's an afternoon matinee game. Now, keep in mind, you can always catch the Blue Jays games if you're out on the go or, or even at home watching it uh, on TV. You can have the TV on mute and take in the game on Sirius XM. Now, this show is brought to you by BetterHelp. 
Some of our best times in life is when we learn something about ourselves. Getting to know yourself can be a lifelong process, especially because we're always growing and changing. Therapy is all about deepening your self-awareness and understanding, because sometimes we don't know what we want or why we react the way we do until we talk things through. BetterHelp connects you with licensed therapists who can take you on that journey of self-discovery from wherever you are. So for things like learning positive coping skills to how to set boundaries, it empowers you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Discover your potential with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash LockedOnMLB to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. That's BetterHelp.com slash LockedOnMLB. Uh, overall, 2-1, 3.26 ERA for Clem Jeremy. Not bad. Talk about Springer needing to get hot. This is another guy that Springer hits well, so hopefully this is going to be a good series for him. Now, there's what, what I find really interesting about this matchup, Nick, and, and one of the things I would really praise the Blue Jays for having done this offseason is the the depth and um, uh, what, what's the word I'm looking for? Not the long, the um, the flexibility in the lineup with with the Brandon Belts, the Kier Myers, the Varshows, lefties that have come in that the Blue Jays never had lefties before. Well, the three lefties in the lineup that have faced Clevenger before, that's Biggio, uh, uh, Varsho and Belt, they're combined 0 for 17 with six strikeouts versus Clevenger. Holy moly. So th- what I love about the flexibility of this Blue Jay lineup doesn't, doesn't look like it's in the pros column, right, for the pros and cons against a guy like Clevenger. Now, Barrios on the other side of the coin, you know his numbers, right? You, you, we know Jose Barrios. We, we know he's really struggled the last you know season season and a bit. Coming off two very good starts, I will absolutely say that for him. You talked about Yasmani Grandel, just one for 11 versus Barrios. But again, to your point, was that the same Yasmani Grandel we'll see on Tuesday, though, Craig? Like, be you know, buyer beware on that, right? Be, be, be wary of that. And what's scary, Nick, is even with Grandel out of there, let's say Grandel continues to struggle against Barrios. The rest of the White Sox, they're hitting 352. Uh, Benintendi, uh, Eloy, uh, Robert Jr., Sheets, uh, Andrew Vaughn, these guys have all homered in their career off Jose Barrios. So, so uh, little bit, I'm a little bit nervous. I'm I, I very good as last two starts, but I am a little bit nervous. What can we expect from Mike Clevenger? It, it, it feels like, I feel like I saw his last start. And Nick, correct me here. Was, wasn't he terrible his last time out? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. That, that was his uh, worst start of the season up until the last start. I think Sox fans were, whoa, wait a second. Clevenger's our number two. No one saw that uh, coming. And the thing with Clevenger that I, I have liked is, and by the way, he is one of those pitchers that uh, he had to adjust his motion based on the commissioner's uh-huh. rule at the beginning of the season because it was going to be deemed maybe a balk or illegal. So he's got kind of a funky motion that I don't know if he's still comfortable with. Uh, if, if the Blue Jays are a running team or interested in running right now, get ready to run because you can run on Mike Clevenger. Uh, He does not do a very good job of holding guys on. Uh, He's had a problem with that. Uh, From a pitching standpoint, tons of movement on his pitches, which I like. Uh, He doesn't allow a lot of middle-middle stuff until his last start, and that's how he got beat, only going three innings. He just looked like a different pitcher, uh, very uncomfortable, couldn't spot. Uh, you know, his fastball, which when he was having success, I mean, it's 94, 95, he might have even hit 96 miles per hour. It was corners. You know, he was going to corners. He was mixing up the eye level. Uh, and then that that's that sweeper or that slider of his that's got a lot of life. 
uh, will zip out of the zone, especially to righties, which is a difficult uh, it's a difficult matchup. He didn't have those tools, and uh, you know the long at bats they got to him. They they batted they batted him pretty well. And again, you know if you've got a team that's that does really good homework and can scout pretty well, it's discipline with Clevenger because he will throw a lot of things out of the zone. And if you wait for him to come at you because he's got a He's down in the count 2-0 and he has to make a pitch. You know, that's when you hit your mistake. This is why I love these crossover episodes. You really get a deep dive into what each fan base can expect here. Again, I'm going to say that you're touching on things that will have the Blue Jay fan base saying, ooh, you said if the Blue Jays are looking to run. Nick, the Blue Jays are looking to run. Bringing in a Whit Merrifield, bringing in a Kevin Kiermaier. Dalton Varshow's a maniac on the base pass as well. Uh, a Boba Shett's very good on the base pass. Yeah, so that, that, that's a very interesting stuff there. And and Nick, who what, what's a prediction you have? So of, of Benintendi, Eloy, uh, Robert Jr., Gavin Sheets, Andrew Vaughn, of the guys that have homered against Barrios in the past, who's one guy in that group that you're saying, you know what, Craig, do not be surprised. The way this guy's swinging the bat right now, don't be surprised if they add another home run against Barrios on Tuesday. Andrew Vaughn is my guy mm -hmm. to have a breakout year. Um, he has not really flexed the power, only one home run, but uh, he has gotten on base. Uh, it feels like just about every game. I think he was leading the team in walks uh, up to the most recent game. Wow. Um, you know, he, uh, again, he's got some huge shoes to fill after Jose Abreu left. And uh, you, you go back to the rich history that the White Sox have at first base. Uh, Paul Canerico before Jose Abreu. Now, Andrew Vaughn gives me some Canerico vibes where he can uh, he can flex the power. He can hit to the gap. But what he also does well is when he knows he can't do much with a pitch, he will flick it to right field. He will take an outside Love pitch that. and he will say, Love you that. know what, I I'll live another day, but I'm just going to keep the line moving. And I think you're going to see with him going back to his natural position of first base, he's going to stay healthy. We know he can hit Golden Spikes winner in college. Uh, I'd be careful for Andrew Vaughn. I think he's going to continue to get better this year, and I'm expecting uh, big things from him. But And you touched earlier about some of the bullpen wolves that, woes that the White Sox are having. You know, Clevenger versus Barrios, it would not surprise me in, in this Tuesday night game if both teams early on had to go early and often to their bullpen. That just, frankly, wouldn't surprise me. What sort of issues specifically, Nick, uh, are you having in that bullpen? Who who are you comfortable with in that Shy Sox bullpen these days? Yeah, that's a great question, Craig, because it is, you know, it, it's different from day to day. I feel like mm -hmm. from game to game, um, you know. They decided as a White Sox team with obviously Liam Hendricks, you know, getting himself right and, and in health. And we don't have Garrett Crochet, power lefty that has been battling, uh, coming back from Tommy John surgery. We might get him in late May. Uh, they decided to go kind of closer by committee or closer by how we feel things are going within a game or in a series. And personally, I never really like that because I think the closer mentality is such a mental thing. Uh, it, it's different than every other, I think, arm out of the bullpen. And that's a tough task to ask for different players to all of a sudden, well, now you're the guy. You have to get your get yourself psyched up. Or an inning before, you've got to come in and you've got to nail this thing down for us. So there have been, I think, Grafol and Ethan Katz, our pitching coach, have been trying to figure out, well, where do we play different guys? Where are they successful? And in this past Tampa series, it's been kind of a reversal where guys like uh, Graveman and uh, Lambert have been pretty solid, even though Lambert gave up uh, the walk-off hit uh, on Saturday's game. Lopez is the guy that's been kind of struggling, but then he came back strong on Saturday. So 
the bullpen is the most expensive bullpen in all of baseball. And I think they're actually the worst in all of baseball in terms wow. of ERA. Uh, what the mindset is from, I gather is, and it's a smart mindset is when you come into the game, two of your first three pitches should be strikes. Now, what's been happening with this bullpen is I think they have just been getting a little too fine, a little, you know, nitpicking corners. And now you're pitching behind in the count. You're pitching 2-0-2-1. And then you have to make a pitch because you're coming in with usually guys on base. It's not necessarily always a clean inning. And they're getting hurt. They're absolute getting hurt. And it's been uh, it's been a, it's to a point where we don't know. And I don't even know if it's been Pedro Grafol's fault. Uh a majority of the time, a few times I questioned, why did you go with that pitcher? But I mean, what, what, what's a manager to do? It's just, I, these guys mm -hmm. have to perform and we have got uh, arms that, uh, and that's look, a bullpen arm has got a short shelf life. You know, that's why I always thought it was maybe not the best use of money to spend big on guys like Joe Kelly or Ke Kendall Graveman, because you can find those guys, you know, you can find those guys you know, for cheap or, or they emerge through spring training when you invest and they get hurt, like you got a lot of money tied up in that situation. And a guy like Joe Kelly, you know, he's been hurt. Uh, he's been hurt. He got hurt, Craig, coming out to a uh, bench clearing brawl in Pittsburgh right. on Easter. Right. He hurt his knee or his lower body. That's the way things have been going for the White Sox. There are so many parallels here, Nick, between these two organizations. I mean, you mentioned wonky, you know, crazy. Oh, that was bad luck injuries. Man, that's been Blue Jay pitching the last couple of years. You mentioned throwing money at the bullpen and just how inconsistent bullpen arms are. Holy cow, you're talking Toronto Blue Jay baseball there. So, so it's probably indicative of a lot of different fan bases, right, yeah. Nick? The the example I always use is, is Brett Cecil, if you remember him, the, the, the lefty. So he was a Blue Jay for a couple of years there. So the one year, he was the worst thing you've ever seen in your life. The next season, the next season, he set every record you can imagine for for relievers. Got the huge payday with uh, St. Louis, I believe it was. And the very next season, so this is all right in line with each other. The very next season was back to being the worst thing you've ever seen in your life. So so true. It's just so volatile. That's the word I would use, Nick. Mm -hmm. the, especially the back of the bullpen guys, the back arms, those eighth and ninth innings, so volatile. And, and Nick, you talk about throwing money at it. My goodness, that's one thing we were talking earlier about uh, um, uh, how much I respect what Shapiro and Atkins have built here in Toronto. That is definitely a cupboard empty scenario. The young, high upside arms to come in. I almost think of it, Nick, like in football terms, the 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 having the the quarterback on the rookie contract, right? If you can build that that playoff bullpen with a bunch of young upside, Baltimore Orioles are doing it right before our eyes. For example, there's a, there's a few teams that are doing it, as opposed to our teams, Nick, who are out there needing to throw money at the problem. And when that's the case, as you mentioned, boy, good luck. It had better work out. It had better work out because that's that's resources that are now not going to. Your backup shortstop. What if something happens there? You're starting second base, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That that's why I see it as like the the rookie quarterback in, in yeah. football type of idea. So yeah, Blue Jays and and White Sox or what's that handshake emoji? Blue Jays and yeah. White Sox are understanding yeah. a lot about about each other's franchises. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think honestly, uh, we're paying for the price of of you know for having Tony Larusa brought back in as ah. manager. Larusa was a guy that always wanted that that bullpen. You know, he the master of the closer, maybe invented the closer with Dennis Eckersley. Mm -hmm. 
and and wanted to to have the guys that he could use out of the pen, which is why you saw Kendall Graveman get the contract. I mean, Larusa was manager at the time when Hendricks got his contract, yeah. and at the deadline last year, we go and got Jake Diekman from Boston, which a lot of fans were scratching their heads like, this is the big trade deadline acquisition we're getting. So I think we're paying for some of that right now, and and it, it, we're we're feeling it. More deep diving of Toronto Blue Jay baseball in just a moment. I wanted to remind you that tomorrow on Locked on Blue Jays, we'll get you set for Wednesday's series finale. It's an afternoon game to wrap up the White Sox series. And don't forget, you can always listen to the Blue Jay games on Sirius XM. Our new sponsor, So Rare, is a revolutionary fantasy baseball game and marketplace transforming fans into owners with officially licensed baseball cards featuring players from across all 30 MLB teams. Unlike other fantasy baseball platforms, SoRare managers truly own their fantasy experience, collecting, buying, selling, and competing with player cards against global opponents to win epic rewards. Win or lose, you still own your cards, and there's no cost to play. Plus, the more you win, the more you advance. So, And you're collecting increasingly powerful cards and accessing next-level competi uh, competitions and rewards. SoRare MLB game weeks happen twice weekly, so it's Monday to Thursday, and then Friday, Saturday, Sunday, so the three- or the four-day cycle. And at the end of the game weeks, SoRare MLB managers who rank at or near the top of their leaderboards win a variety of, of rewards, which can include SoRare scarcity cards, game tickets, merchandise, signed jerseys, VIP experiences like meeting MLB stars. Okay. Prizes may vary depending on the competition. Head to SoRare.com slash LockedOn. That's spelled S-O. R-A-R-E dot com to draft your team of free player cards, set your lineups, and start competing today to win epic rewards. Again, that's SoRare.com slash locked on to start playing today. Craig Ballard with you, Locked On Blue Jays. Finally, as today is game number 24 of the Toronto Blue Jays season, let's deep dive some significant number 24s in Toronto Blue Jay franchise history. Now, the last time we saw number 24 worn by a Blue Jay was back in 2021, Nate Pearson. I know that this conversation is not for the faint of heart in Blue Jay land, but I hope to see Nate Pearson on the major league level very soon. I know, I know. Again, Craig, with the Nate Pearson stuff, we've been waiting for him for years. I get it. Check out how he's been doing at AAA, though. And don't just check out the numbers. Pull up the YouTube, check out the highlights. You're going to see he's living on the corners. He's 98-99 on the corners. Oh, my. I'm getting excited about Nate Pearson. Probably my favorite number 24 in Toronto Blue Jay history was Matt Stairs. He wore 24, right? Some CanCon, some Canadian content. Matt Stairs, of course, a member of the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame. His only full season with the Blue Jays, he hit 289, 21 home runs, and a 917 OPS. That's, that's nice work. That is nice work. Well done, Matt Stairs. Now, another number 24 that I actually really liked, he was only Blue Jay, just like Matt Stairs, just a brief Blue Jay, was Glenn Allen Hill. Now, of course, Glenn Allen Hill has the famous, you know, arachnophobia. He missed time. So something happened, right? He, he went on the deal. Like, he missed time with the Toronto Blue Jays of getting cut up all over his body somehow. Some of the stories are he had he had bad arachnophobia, right? Like, that's not a story. That's a fact. He, had, he, has, he has an absolute fear of spiders. L literally working on it to this day with therapy and that. It, it, it was a big one. It was quite a significant fear of fiber, of spiders. If you know, that's called arachnophobia. So all of a sudden, one day, uh, he was not available for the Blue Jays. and wasn't available for a while. Had cuts all over him. The the urban urban myth, and I say urban because Glenn Allen Hill says, no, this is not what happened, was that he was having a nightmare about being covered in spiders and he took a razor and was trying to get the spiders off him and cut himself up. He says it was more along the lines of, of uh, had a really nice... Uh, um, a coffee table that was glass that was all see-through and just in a in a 
and half awake, half asleep state because he was dreaming about spiders. He, he was going to the washroom or kitchen, something like that, and and had forgotten that it was there because he was no, you know, in a half awake, half asleep state, and smashed that glass table. That was the cause of the cuts. I don't know either way. <laughs> either way, what I can tell you about Glenn Allen Hill. He hit bombs. He hit bombs. He was one of those players that when he hit one, you never had to lean in and wonder, hey, that could go. No, no, no. When he hit bombs, he was hitting them, you know, 450 feet. I, I was a Glen Allen Hill fan. Also was a Shannon Stewart fan. How could you not love Shannon Stewart? Shannon Stewart wore number 24 with the Blue Jays, spent, spent parts of a decade with the Toronto Blue Jays. And so over parts of a decade with the Blue Jays, he, he hit 298 with a 365 on base percentage. Over a 10-year, over a huge sample size like that, that's extremely impressive. Now, you may remember he was traded to Minnesota in 2003 for Bobby Kielty, who ironically also wore number 24, but ironically wasn't meant to be a Blue Jay for long. That was 2004. That was J.P. Ricciardi was new with the Blue Jays. He had just come from being with Billy Bean and the A's. So he knew that Billy Bean and the A's really coveted Kielty. So he acquired Kielty. So a couple weeks later, he could turn around and flip him to Oakland. That was the Ted Lilly trade. Stewart would, re would return to the Blue Jays in his 14th and final MLB season in 2008. Uh, I think Shannon Stewart at some point is going to be looked at as a candidate for the level of excellence. He was awesome for the Blue Jays. And there was a long stretch of time where he was the only good thing about Toronto Blue Jay baseball. Probably my favorite number 24, at least story-wise, in Toronto Blue Jay history. How about 1993? Fourth outfielder Turner Ward. I know who, right? Who is is the – because remember, 93, this is the second of the Blue Jays' back-to-back -back World Series. So the – uh, Turner Ward's wearing number 24. The Blue Jays at the trade deadline acquire Ricky Henderson. So Ricky Henderson, for the first, I want to say, nine games, is wearing number 14 because Turner Ward already had number 24. And, and he and Ricky were in a, a negotiation. Ricky Henderson gets off to a bad start with the Blue Jays, so about nine, ten games and finally decides, okay, fine, what's your asking price? I'm going to meet your asking price. Ends up paying $25,000 to Turner Ward. Now, Turner Ward's salary at this time is 160000 so 25,000, again, that's US. So what is that? That's like 1.2 million Canadian. But anyway, but a serious chunk of change for Turner Ward just to change numbers. That was a major payday for him. And my favorite thing about Ricky Henderson, everybody knows. I end I end the Blue Jay shows with, with the with the touch them all, Joel. You'll never hit a bigger home run in your life. That Tom Cheek classic call on the Joe Carter game six World Series clinching home run. I've often said, and everydayers have heard me say this before. Do yourself an absolute favor. Go back and watch that entire ninth inning. It's one of the most incredible innings of baseball I've ever seen. It's it's right up there with that bat flip inning, which was what, the seventh inning uh, of that Jose Bautista bat flip inning, which was such an insane inning. It's right up there with them. And Ricky Henderson gets it all started. He's facing Mitch Williams. Bottom of the ninth, Blue Jays are down one. He knows he just needs to get on base. He, he, he needs to be the table setter. Walks up and he knows if you remember Mitch Williams, Wild Thing Williams. If if so, he he's a right a lefty. I'm a righty, but if you're looking in for the sign, you get the sign from the catcher. He would come set, tuck his chin. Catcher's over there, tuck his chin, and then the next time he would look up at the plate was when he was right here in his motion. Well, Ricky Henderson, and that, that's part of why he was Wild Thing, right? He was he was never looking at home plate when he pitched it. Ricky Henderson knows this. Ricky Henderson sees Mitch William 0-0, first pitch of the inning. Sees Mitch William looking for the sign, gets the sign, turns and tucks his chin. Ricky Henderson knows he's not looking back again. Ricky Henderson calls time. The home plate umpire 
books it. The catcher, the late Darren Dalton, books it. Ricky, everyone gets the heck out of there. They know Mitch Williams is wild in the best of times, let alone when he comes to and he sees that nothing's going on at home plate. The time's been called. Who knows where he's going to uncork this? And it's going to be 95, right? It's going to be 96. So you, you got you to run and duck for cover. Mitch Williams, as he's pitching it, now his eyes come to the plate. He sees right about here in his release point that time's been called. Everybody's scattered. So he tries to hold up and he tries to put all his effort and energy into stopping his rotation and, and his, his, his pitching motion. He ends up being like a whirling dervish, like a helicopter on the mound there, spirals himself around. Just insane. Absolutely nuts. Ricky Henderson right in that moment is in Mitch Williams's head. Pitch one is nowhere close. Pitch two is nowhere close. At 2-0, and oh, the catcher, again, late, rest in peace, Darren Dalton, has to come out to the mound. This is the closer. Two pitches in because Ricky Henderson is so shook, this guy, already a mound visit. Two pitches in. And remember when you were growing up playing baseball in, in Little League, if, if you're in a 3-0 and oh count, you wouldn't stand there, right? Oh, sorry, hit the mic there. You wouldn't stand there when the pitcher was was in his windup in the 3-0 and oh count. You'd square to bunt and, and, like, move your bat and try to distract the pitcher, right? Ricky Henderson on the big league level did this as of 2-0. and He could see, oh my gosh, mission accomplished. I'm in this guy's head. I've already won this battle. I'm already on first base. On 2-0 and 3-0, Ricky Henderson squared and just goofed around with the bat. That's, I mean, he knew he had already won that battle. When you're watching that, the cameras flash, when he, when he draws that four-pitch walk, the cameras flash into the Blue Jay dugout. Check out the reaction, and in particular, check out Joe Carter's reaction. He can see, man, that's exactly what we brought Ricky Henderson in. Wow, that was so effective. This ball for this ninth inning comeback is rolling. Now, that'll wrap today's Locked On Blue Jay podcast. Locked On Blue Jay is part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Keep it locked on Locked On and check out Locked On MLB and catch tonight's Blue Jays game on Sirius XM. And be sure to tune in tomorrow as we get you set for the series finale against the White Sox.